a website, why not do it yourself with Wix.com? No matter what business you're in, you can get your site live today. With hundreds of templates and easy drag and drop features, it's simple to customize and there is no coding needed. You don't need to be a programmer or a designer to create something beautiful. You can just go to wix.com and create your own stunning website. It's easy and it's free. I grew up on the product side of the internet business, and I um, worked at AOL for a long time. Welcome. You've got mail. I was there when internet advertising was first introduced. Um, I was actually running a lot of the products that were free on the web, things like MapQuest and Movie Phone and some of these properties that AOL had. They didn't really have a business model for a long time, and then... The beginnings of advertising came around, and we started to develop a business model, but we were all pretty unsure of it. And there were some really great advertising products that were part of those services, but there were also some really crappy ones. And... And back then, there was experimentation with pop-ups and other things that just really annoyed users and set the product back. And I always had responsibility not only for the revenue, but for product adoption, too. And I, and I knew there was a balance, and sometimes those two things worked against one another. And I, I was always of the mind, and still am, that without happy audiences and growth, there is no advertising business anyway. So you got to focus first and foremost on making great products that people want to use. Yet, I didn't run the company, and there were pressures from salespeople and other people in the organization to put crappy ads on our pages at times. And, and, um, and I remember one egregious case where they were... You know, in the early days, in this new format called the Pop Under came out uh, out of nowhere, and uh, and I was like, "What is this? Uh, this is really awful. It's kind of spammy, very spammy and annoying." And like, I go to close a window and see this this ad that was there, and uh, even wondering how this got there. And it turns out it was from a site that I was managing. So I, I, you know got on my high horse and I was like very upset and talked to some of the other like executives over there and I said this just isn't gonna fly we um, can't do this and I was basically um, vetoed and you know I was powerless to do anything we had a for at least a short period of time run these pop-ups but I went so far during that experience as to make a deal with my peer who was the ad sales person and say, I will give you money out of my development budget, out of my you know content and engineering and design budget to buy out the pop under inventory. I will, you know, I will pay for the ads. And I took it out of my budget just so I could shut down the ads and say, and and do the transfer internal to the company, 
because I felt so strongly that this was just an awful experience that was going to hurt our audience and hurt our products. But the length to which as people were, you know, and the person who was arguing for these things wasn't like necessarily a stupid or awful person. This was all new and we were experimenting with things. And uh, but it was clear that this was an experiment that had gone too far. Um, and so I just, just always thought it was uh you know, funny that we actually had to take budget from product development and use it to buy our own ads so as not to subject our audiences to things that weren't going to make sense. And, um, you know, that's a great example of of bad advertising (laughs) run amok. I really hope that after you did that, they initiated the pop sideways ad where if you try to close your eyes at night when you go to sleep, you get like Zoloft being sold to you. <laughs> Hello and welcome to What's Tech, a podcast from TheVerge.com. I am your humble host, Christopher Thomas Plant, and today we are talking about online ads. I thought I would reach out to someone who knows a few things about this. Uh, Jim Bankoff, the CEO of Vox Media, which you might know as the company uh, that is like I, w- parent company. Is that the right word? The the the, the thing in which the Verge yeah. lives in. That's uh, right. That's right. We're all part of the same family here. So basically, this is an interview with my boss's 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 boss. So if I sound very nervous. Uh, that's just because I'm talking to my personal hero, who I think does an excellent job. <laughs> now, come on. You owe it to your audience to... Yes. Not... That, I'll, I'll be really honest. I just think he does a very good and commendable job. <laughs> there um, we go. That's more reason. So we're, we're, we're going to kick it off. Uh, we always start with the basics. So let's start from there. Uh, Jim, what is an online ad in its most essential form? Advertising in its most essential form, I always view it. And by the way, Chris knows this, but I'm I have never actually been in charge of ad sales. And you know, now as I run Vox Media, I am. But we have a great team of people who produce ad products and sell those ad products all day long, and and they're the real experts. So I I am enjoying this podcast because I need to think of it in simple terms. And the simple terms I think of it in is advertising on the internet in particular really fulfills two goals for marketers, people who are trying to grow their business and sell stuff. Um, And one goal is to create demand, to think, oh, wow, that's something that I never knew existed and something that I might want to buy either now or in the future. And then the other purpose it serves is to fulfill demand, which is to say, all right, I already know that I want to buy this thing, so how do I get there and buy it? Um, and generally speaking, um, online advertising seeks to do one of those two things. And most online advertising has been focused on the latter, like the more like demand fulfillment. So I search for a thing that I want. And I find it and I click on it and then I either shop for it or I learn about it or I ultimately buy it. Um, Generally, other forms of media have been better at demand creation or another word for that is like brand building. Um, Two words, brand building. Um, And, you know, brand building is about um, taking 
an object, usually an inanimate object, and ascribing um, values to it such that you know you create awareness for it and you create properties for it uh, based on that product's attributes. And um, you know, to me, that's what advertising does in the brand building sense. It it helps create identity and awareness for for offerings. Um, and good advertising does that in a good way, and bad advertising does that in a bad way. Okay. Um, by the end of the episode, my goal, my personal goal, is to figure out how um, we make money, basically. Um, so l- let's talk about someone comes to The Verge, and they're going to read the story about this podcast because it's going to be a fantastic podcast. They visit. Do do we get money because there's an ad on the site when they visit, or does it matter if they click that ad, or is it something else entirely? So there's different advertisers have different goals, but generally there are a few things that are always important to those advertisers. Um, and I met with a chief marketing officer once, and I remember we were talking about all the great things that um, our advertising products could do for them. Um, and she stopped me and she said, that's all great. And I want to talk about those things. But the first thing that's important is that I want to make sure that someone sees my ad and that, you know, and then the second thing is important is I want to make sure that ideally my ad and the consumer that saw it had, you know, there was, there was some sort of like call it engagement there, meaning, um, they actually thought about it for a second or for extra credit, they actually acted upon it, which is something that the web allows you to do or interactive allows you to do. To answer your question, uh, we do get paid, um, but different campaigns, we get paid for different things. First and foremost, though, we want people to either see or in the case of a podcast, hear um, the advertisement and figure out a way to do that that is both good for the marketer but good for the audience too or as good as possible and I think the really smart advertisers have the audience in mind when they create their advertising and they cater to the audience where their advertising is running so it, it what I understand about our site again I uh, I'm not the brightest in this. I apologize. I'm just I, I try to stick to the writing the stories part. Um, <laughs> but there there are there are things like banner ads, which I'm familiar with and have been familiar with on the internet long before I worked on it. And then there's a newer thing called sponsored content. Uh, and I'm hoping you could kind of walk me through both of those and kind of what the differences are between more of a traditional, hey, that looks like a giant poster on my site or a smaller poster. Uh, or something that is like looks kind of like content in some in yeah. some different ways. Well, you know, I think again, go back to those thing, those two things that I said. You know, generally speaking, advertising can do, and one is actually help you buy the thing, and and that's an important part of commerce, right? Um, the other thing is make you aware of the thing and create an identity for the thing, such that you might want to buy it then or in the future. So banner ads are, are, you know, a a mechanism for communicating a message. In my opinion, the banner ads that you see all around the web 
are generally a pretty lousy way of communicating a message. But the messages that they tend to communicate most often on the web today are are kind of retargeted advertisements, meaning I've searched for something on Google or in Amazon or somewhere, and they've somehow gotten data on me through that. Maybe they cookie me or something. And through that, they now offer me up an ad based on what I've been searching or shopping for. Um, And there are a lot of services that do that. And often you'll see those types of ads in banner ads because they know that if you are shopping for it, there's a high likelihood or a higher than average likelihood that you might want to buy it and go back there. And so, you know, those small banner ads that we see everywhere, they're, they're kind of good at that. What they're not good at doing is the other thing, which is telling a story to get you to know about a product or a service. Um, and, you know, at Vox Media, we're really in the business of catering to those brand advertisers. And, and how we do that is by helping them create content the same way that, you know, you create content. Um, and in their case, it's content about what they do. Um, and that content is distributed on the website in different ways, but usually it's not through just like a standard banner ad because that's not a really interesting way to tell a story or to even distribute a story. Um, We find other better placements and ways to do that on our sites and on other areas of our network as well. Um, And I think when it's called native or... um, you know, there are a lot of different names for it, but basically it's just different ways to distribute the story. When I hear native, which is something that we do, there are different, there's kind of good native and there's bad native. To me, what native means is let's, as a marketer or an advertiser, let's produce some advertising content that is actually somewhat relevant to the audience. So if we're advertising on the verge let's create advertising that we think the Verge audience might actually care about. And not all the Verge audience will care about it, just not all, like all of them won't care about um, any given article on the Verge. There are things that we c- click on and care about and things that we don't. And, and I think Almost same, all of them care about my show, but yeah, yeah, I, it, I, I it generally care, understand. What, I can kind of relate to what you're saying. Yeah, so they <laughs> care about your stuff. You know, they care about Casey's stuff, but maybe, you know, <laughs> no, they care. I think I love all of our Verge uh, Sure, sure, but mostly me and Casey. No, I understand. No, we keep going. <laughs> there are plenty of other ones. I mean, our science coverage, check it out. Um, so, uh, you know, there's great content non-advertising content and there's great advertising content and um and it has to for it to be great it has to be relevant and it has to be kind of interesting or maybe it has to bring something to the table in terms of like an insight or something and so you know our goal is to and we're not always perfect at this for sure but our goal is to like make advertising that um is as consistent with the overall product of The Verge as possible. Um, And when we say that, not only is the content of the advertising itself kind of reasonably consistent, but the way that it's displayed is reasonably consistent. The Verge has a really beautiful and remarkable visual identity, and we want the advertisements to not be little banner ads, but we want them to be like 
and when we do kind of put photo imagery and or, or you know call it display advertising we want the display advertising to be really like beautiful i'd call it like you know say magazine like in the sense that um good magazine advertising is visually appealing and visually beautiful we want our web advertising to be that way and just like a good magazine ad is integrated visually into the product of a magazine we want our uh, advertising to be integrated into the fabric of the verge um in a way that is transparent that is called out so that you know it's advertising like bad advertising is deceptive good advertising is not but in a way that is consistent with the overall product the verge is a product and the advertising is part of that product and so the advertising has to needs to match good that's right can i can i tell you this is just a personal story um but this is my anxiety about google search ads and i I, there's a lot to love about them they have a lot of especially small to mid-sized sites exist without a sales team but here here's my problem um, I do almost all my shopping on Amazon. This, this story is going to get really intimate really quickly, so I apologize. <laughs> um, but I do all of my shopping on Amazon, except once at some unknown date, my wife purchased underwear for herself on some site. I don't mm-hmm. know what, mm-hmm. but, but used Google. Mm-hmm. And it's the only thing that Google has a record of me buying ever. So whenever someone is over at our house and they're like, hey, let's watch this really funny YouTube video. And I'm like, no problem. Here's my laptop. Pull it up. They open my laptop and wherever they go on the internet, all it shows are advertisements for women in underwear. And I look like a creepy lech. And they're like, why is your computer doing this? And I try to explain it to them, and they have no interest in my explanations. Yeah, you should just say you're a creepy latch. I mean, I've kind of leaned into it now. I, I kind of like, you know, <laughs> just, twist just my fingers at them. Yeah, yeah. I, it. But it, I'm, I'm glad that you, um, you know, your wife and you are on the same page. That's what's more important than what other so people true. think. That's so true. Thank you. Thank you for <laughs> that. Um, okay, so we're going to talk about um, criticism of ads. Uh, and we're just going to use The Verge as an example because it's what we're most familiar with. We've received criticism uh, in the past about tracking visitors and collecting data. I'm wondering in what ways do ads monitor visitors? Because I think a lot of people don't understand always how that works. And on a scale of me being like, oh, who cares, to like, oh, I'm really panicked. What the hell are we doing? How concerned should I be about this idea of monitoring people? Well, you know, I think if you're on the on uh, an audience member of the verge um you know we you can go and and read how we use or don't use data um you know it's for frankly for the verge um it's i i don't on the scale of being concerned i i personally don't think you should be uh very concerned compared to you know a lot of other services particularly like apps that really do um, know a lot about you and use that um, data in ways across the web. You know, so we have an audience that's important to us, and we want to protect that audience. And so, um, I think part of good advertising is making sure that it's reasonably relevant to you, that we can kind of target the audience, but uh, target the advertising to the audience. 
but of course always doing it in a like non-personally identifiable way and in a non-creepy way in general um and um you know for us for vox media for the verge we focus more on the content of the advertising and then the context of the advertising i.e making sure that it's the ads are you know when marketers want to market with us because they know they'll have their ads will be great they'll be the content of them will be good the design of them will be good but they also want to advertise with us because they want the verge as an audience and they want to be surrounded by the verge content one way to think about it is um you know, when you're in high school, let's say, and you're forming your identity and, you know, I'm a little bit older. And so I would like clip things from magazines and put posters on my wall of like musicians that I thought were cool or maybe athletes that I thought were cool. And well, why was I doing that? Because I was trying to express my identity. Um, and these are the things and people and, and places that I wanted to be identified with as I grew my identity. And marketers that are trying to create brands, hashtag brands, are <laughs> um, trying to do the same thing. They're trying to be identified with cool things. So the equivalent of them hanging a poster in their room is running cool advertising on The Verge. Um, then they get identified with The Verge. And The Verge what is the value proposition of the Verge? It's cool people who uh, care about technology and how it's shaping our lives. And a lot of marketers want to be associated with that. So just by running cool advertising on a cool media property, you are creating identity. And, you know, I think that goes a whole lot way, a whole lot further than um, harvesting email addresses uh, for what we're trying to do in terms of brand building. Um, sure. there, are, there are other companies that are in the business of making sure that you buy underwear immediately. And I think <laughs> over that, and over again, that, that type of advertising probably, you know, is a little, and as you experienced, is a little bit more intrusive um, and uses data in different ways. That's not what our gig is about, but there's certainly, that's part of internet advertising. And and I think the discussion on online advertising now is, it's great. It's great that people are talking about um, bots and ad blocking and lousy ads. And because I think it's great because we're finally getting to the difference between good advertising and bad advertising and aware and awareness between the two. It, it's bad in that it's all being clumped together. It's advertising bad. You know, some people think that. Um, but I think the more nuanced view is like advertising can be good. We've lived with it in every medium. Um, and in every medium, there's good and bad advertising and there's no different on the web. Okay, you mentioned the ad blocking in there. And ad blocking for a certain type of Verge reader, I think, is very familiar to people like my parents, uh, barely uh, familiar at all. I think they may have heard about it in the last month. So what what is ad blocking? And uh, specifically, why are people talking about it now in relation to Apple? So I think ad blocking, you know, we so internally here, we sometimes call it content blocking because it goes through that... Um, it goes. It goes. You know, through uh, it's a piece of software you install, and it tries to detect 
um, usually via JavaScript or something, some things that are serving ads or other forms of content sometimes on the page. And in order to sell advertising, you kind of have to track the number of ads that have been served so that you know how to charge your customer. You know, there are other things that fire up on web pages, and the Verge audience actually knows this far better than I do. But the way that ad blockers work or content blockers is that they they sense when something is being served and they and they block it from being displayed. Um, and um, for me, uh, I can understand, you know, the, the reasons for adopting ad blockers in some cases. Uh, you know, I, you know, I, I'm on the web as much as anyone else. And there are some really horrific ad experiences on the web. Uh, and horrific can mean creatively horrific. Horrific can mean that they um, are intentionally designed to obfuscate or block the content that you're trying to see, either through overlays or through pop-ups or pop-unders. Horrific can, in some cases, mean that they actually um, can spread malware uh, and do damage to your computer or phone. And in some cases, it means just horrific in terms of the performance of the page and the ad load, which could burn through your um, cell plan, you know, if, if done poorly. Um, so there, and there are other reasons too. And so um, we as an industry, Vox Media, but every other site out there, um, and then every advertiser out there, and then other companies that are involved in what I'll call the advertising ecosystem. And there are a lot of players. There are ad serving companies and ad tech companies that provide the technology that enables this to happen. There are, of course, the advertisers themselves. There are the media companies themselves. Um, and then there are the browsers and the carriers. Like There are a lot of different parts of this puzzle. And, and all of us um, need to vow to make the advertising experience one that works for audiences and works for marketers too. Um, and, you know, just generally across the web, I'll say that's not the case right now, uh, for sure. There are crappy ad experiences out there in a lot of places. Um, I, you know, just an example, you know, I, I have a nine-year-old and like every nine-year-old, he loves to play Minecraft. And, you know, of course we go to download mods and do get tips and stuff. And, you know, you go to one of those like Minecraft mod sites and like, there are so many deceptive ads and my nine-year-old's a reasonably savvy kid, <laughs> but you know, we're like paranoid about like clicking on a faux functionality ad and downloading some malware crap on our page and, you know, then getting pop unders and, you know, that kind of stuff is considered internet advertising the same way that a really well-designed, um, explainer on a new car is considered, um, internet advertising. And, you know, there's a difference between the two. Um, and, uh, I think this whole discussion is helping us realize the difference between the two and what's acceptable and ultimately good advertising and what isn't. What should potentially be blocked, not just by ad blockers, but by ad servers, by ad networks, by Google and search, um, and what and what should um, be a legitimate form of marketing to help subsidize the cost of 
all the talented people who work here and provide um, great content at a subsidized or free cost. So I, I've seen ad blocking apps on, say, the App Store. Right now, I think they're like two of the top three or four or five. Um, and I know that there has been concern, at least amongst editorial peers, uh, especially at some other sites, that ad blocking has gone mainstream. Do you think that is the case, or do you think uh, we, there's a window of time for kind of the internet as a whole to get its, well, shit together, um, to be a little coarse, and, and, and have better ads before people are like, you know, we're all going to kind of revolt against this? Um, you know, the, the latter, you know, for sure. I mean, but, um, yeah, we have to have better ads. I mean, having, you know, said that, like, so we as a content company, um, you know, I, I have a strong belief that people want great content, um, first and foremost. And, um, there are different ways and different business models to get them that great content. You know, one way to get them that great content is a website with ads um, that is open to everyone on the web that doesn't charge anything, that uh, you know doesn't have a paywall and doesn't um, doesn't you, you don't have to download an app to get it. You don't have to go through a, a big you know, service like Facebook or Apple News or you know another mobile app to get it. You know, that one way to do it is on the open web. You know, there are other ways to do it. Like another great way to consume content is on Facebook or on newly launched Apple News, you know, and um, ad blockers don't work on Facebook or Google News. And so, you know, if 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 here's a few things I believe, I believe that um, the majority of consumers are really comfortable with the trade off of show me some good advertising that doesn't ruin my experience, doesn't eat up my mobile phone plan, doesn't block my access to content and and ads that are reasonably well-designed and relevant to me. Show me those ads as a way of subsidizing my free content, and that's cool. I, you know, not everyone believes that. Some people would rather just pay and, and get it, you know, ad-free. I get that. But I think a, a vast majority of people throughout history of the internet and other media have said, hey, this is a fair enough trade-off. Um, now, and I and I believe, you know, advertising is here to stay uh, if it's good advertising. So if advertising on the open web isn't solved and is, is not, you know, if we don't come together to produce a better experience, um, then advertising will move from the open web to, like, closed environments entirely, um, mobile apps or other closed environments, um, which, by the way, consumers are already moving in that direction as they move to mobile anyway. Um, so, you know, that's as a content company, we'll be on the open web, we'll be on closed apps. Um, and, you know, as we'll probably be advertising supported in, in both cases, because right now, as you look around, most people still want advertising supported content. Um, and, but they just want good advertising. You know, they're not, they're not, um, you know, one model that hasn't really been proven out except for in really small examples is like is um, paid subscription mainstream news products. I know there are some newspapers that, you know, maybe top out at a million subscribers or something like that. Very few of them. Um, and some of that is just through like legacy stuff. Um, 
So by and large, people really embrace this model of ad-supported news products. Um, if they decide they don't want to and they want to pay for it, then I think great content companies will charge them for it. If, or if they decide that they um, want to consume it through other platforms that are closed mobile apps, then great content companies will be there. Um, you know, content helps to drive the growth of those mobile apps. And, um, you know, we have great partners and, you know, you can get the Verge content on on Facebook. Uh, uh, you can get the Verge content on Apple News. You can get the Verge content in a lot of different places. Um, so you as a consumer have a choice there. Um, personally, I would love to continue to have a model that delivers great free Verge content um, on the open web. And I think that model will prevail. But I think we have to cut through um, making sure that audiences and ad blockers and advertisers and Google and everyone else who has a vested interest in the open web knows the difference between good advertising and bad advertising and supports that difference. And I, and I really believe that there are two classes developing. Um, we were part of an industry group um, that released a study just this week, actually, about bot traffic. Another thing that's going on is the advertisers, some of them are getting ripped off, too, because uh, not, it's not just an audience problem, but there's an advertiser problem in that there are um, robots that um, create <laughs> traffic for advertisers that is just bullshit traffic. It's not real. It's robots clicking on the ads, essentially. Um, and this traffic comes from sites that artificially inflate their audience by by doing unnatural things to get their traffic, things beyond just producing good content, like paying people, kind of dark web people and other people to to grow their traffic. And sometimes those fraud rates are as high as, I think the industry average for the internet is 11%. So on average, an internet advertiser is getting ripped off by, by 11% for the ads that they purchase on average. But if you look at the class of advertisers that really produce great content, um, you know, premium, high value publishers and content creators, the fraud rates there are actually down to 3%. And then if you look at our company, Vox Media, that never buys traffic at all, that just you know relies on the quality of its content and its experiences, our fraud rate is about 1%, which is you know, de minimis. Uh, and uh, and you know, it goes to show you that if you're doing the right thing, it's not too complicated. If you produce great content and great experiences and have great advertising that helps support the business model, Consumers will accept that. Marketers will will thrive in that environment, and you'll be able to create a great product that is you know sustainable for your business and um, helps you grow and invest in more great content. So that's what we're seeking to do. And I think there's more and more of an awareness that there are the good actors that seek to act that way, and then there are the bad actors that just want run spammy, crappy ads that have bots uh, and lousy content. And, you know, I think there's the great part about this discussion is there's there's an awareness of the fact that there's high value and no value and the two are different and not all Internet advertising is the same. I I understand that the bot issue is like a serious thing and malicious. Um, but 
I do. Uh, I I'm just very tickled by this idea of like a new Terminator movie that <laughs> is just about like the T1000 sitting like a row of them sitting at desks reading like top fifty list, and then like the way they take over the world is just by taking all of our jobs. Um, that's that's like an alternate history that I'm I'm down with, and also see actually happening at some point. <laughs> well, you know, we all uh, can dream. I'll dare to dream. <laughs> we, we dare. Um, a, a few quick questions uh, before we wrap. Uh, people can't block my podcast ads. I, I mean, I, theoretically, they could skip them like Tebow, but they're like built into my show. Is Does that give me an advantage over, say, our website? Uh, it, it also, will I have my job forever, basically? Well, you know, we all know the answer to the latter question, so I'm not even going to bother with that one. But on the former... Um, just me and Casey. I, I think the uh, on the former, it's um, you know, I I wouldn't bank on the fact that people can't skip it because um, you know, as you said, they can skip it actually, or they you know, or if it gets to be too annoying, someone will create some code that will make it skippable. I mean, we live in a world where you know you can automate those things and you can block out things that you don't like, and so I would bank more on the fact that you produce a great product and the advertising is part of that product and the advertising is not such that um, one would want to block it. Um, and, you know, again, there are gonna be, there's going to be a portion of audiences that just don't want advertising, period, because they don't believe in it. I, I get that, you know, and they're willing to perhaps pay a subscription fee for certain content. But there's going to be much larger audiences that are willing to say, hey, if this is a fair trade-off, if this is a good ad with good content, I get that trade-off. I like that trade-off because it helps to support this content for free that I really love. And um, and as long as it's not malicious or bad or creepy or data-sucking or you know a lot of the other things that, that happen too frequently um, – then it'll be a fair trade-off on your podcast, on The Verge, and on every other web service out there. Okay, final thing. Um, we are looking out into the future now, uh, I guess through a crystal ball. We see uh, two paths. One leads to the, the row of T-1000s. The other, it is, it's shady, and, and we can't really tell what it is. Uh, I imagine this, this, this one, this is the future that we're going to carve, uh, out of Vox and Verge and all these things, we improve ads. Uh, can you give us a sneak preview in any way of what we are doing to improve ads on our end so we save ourselves from uh, the foretold robot apocalypse? I would love to. And, you know, uh, the robots are going to be part of the future one way or another, but we can um, help our cause by doing a few things. Um one thing um, is to make them perform better from a load perspective, um, uh, and that's something that our developers are hard at work doing and have made a lot of progress. And in fact, we're trying to be really transparent about page load in general. And you can go to our Vox product blog to read about our progress there, and it's a key initiative of our company and one that we're actually making a whole lot of progress on. That's one thing. The second thing we can do is make sure that the creatives, the the actual ad content and the ad display are as high quality as possible. And we have 
teams of people that work with our advertisers and their ad agencies to do just that, to make sure that this is an ad that the Verge audience would by and large, find interesting and relevant uh, or as interesting and as relevant as possible. So that's a second thing we can do, the creative part of it. Um, A third thing that we can do is the technology that helps to serve and run these ads, both um, technology that we develop in-house, and we have a great technology and product team that focuses specifically on advertising issues. They would have been much better to speak at this podcast than I would because they're knee deep in it and they think about this day in, day out, and they find solutions to make ads faster and make ad creatives better. Um, But um, we can apply technology to help do those things. Um, And then a fourth thing that we can do is work as an industry because if Vox Media or The Verge's advertisements get better, but there's still crappy ads polluting other parts of the web, um, that's that's a bad thing. So I think as an industry, we can use our clout and have been using our clout to say, "Hey, we need to come together. Um, you have to. We have to be good actors. If you're a, if you're a content company, you have to." produce great ads that load quickly with great creative. If you are part of the technology stack that delivers these ads, whether via um, an ad server or via what they call an ad network, which is a marketplace of advertising that publishers can put on their sites, whole another story. But if you're part of any part of the advertising ecosystem, you have to get behind this or get out of the way. And, you know, we as an industry have to come together. And we're happy to be on the forefront of um, pushing for this. Um, and I think it'll happen. I think there will be, you know, recognition that there are different classes of content companies, companies that believe in good experiences and companies that don't. And I think ultimately um, audiences will come to know the difference and and vote to go to the places with with great content and good and great advertising. All of this sounds very good, and I am very happy that I am not the person who uh, is in charge of any of it because it's far too complicated. Not, not and, yet, and, not yet, Chris. You're not. Oh, oh, sure. Well, I mean, yeah, obviously <laughs> that that big raise in promotions coming. We've got big plans uh, for you. <laughs> oh God! Um, thank you so much for doing this show right. uh, and for talking us through the subject. My pleasure. It was great. And thank you for listening. This has been another episode of What's Tech. We are here every Tuesday. You can find us on iTunes, where I would love for you to leave a review because it goes a long way to getting us out to more people. You can find us on Twitter at What's Tech, or you can find us on TheVerge.com. It's a website that I write for. And it falls under the purview of Vox Media, uh, which Jim is the CEO of. Uh, all the sites are on it are great. Uh, Casey's writing, as mentioned, is great. He's on TheVerge.com. You can also try Eater or Racked if you'd like. There are others. Um, and uh, thank you also to Wix.com. Today's episode was brought to you by Wix.com, so you could have it for free. Uh, it's used by 60 million people throughout the world. Wix.com empowers business owners to create their own professional websites with a drag-and-drop builder. And that's it. Uh, until next time, we'll see you later. Bye. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>